Good morning, ANC. How are you? I uh, just want to say, hey, a special welcome to the visitors this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we'll be having a, a link for you guys to sign up for the info cards uh, if you'd like to share your information with us. But this weekend's a little bit different for us. Uh, this is Restore Weekend, something we, we call Restore Weekend. We've done this since the inception of Austin New Church, where we actually normally would close the doors to the church and mobilize our people to go out and be good news in the community. And this week uh, is a little bit different because, well, there are no, no doors to close uh, and no people to send out. But we actually did anyway. We did, we did that a couple of ways. Uh, we sent out an email earlier in the week uh, talking about our partnerships uh, with Riverbend Church, um, with Santa Rita Commons, and with uh, Posada Esperanza. Posada Esperanza, we actually had people show up uh, at the place and mow yards and clean up and do all the things. But I've got a few videos just kind of as a report back and a celebration, but also an invitation to join us this Restore Weekend. So stay, listen to those real quick. Hey, ANC, uh, I'm Scott Reeves. We're out here today at our Travis Heights Christian uh, food distribution for our Harvest Blessings Food Pantry. We've had some of you guys out here helping us out. Just want to show you what's going on. We just started the line. Uh, which wraps around into the neighborhood. Today, through this food line, we're gonna serve about 300 families. Um, they're gonna get 30 to 50 pounds of food. When we get up here where we're walking, you'll see some of that food being put into the trunks. Man, we would love to have you guys out here. I know it's your Restore Weekend. Um, I know there's a link to donate food, and we so greatly appreciate that. We'd also love to have you out volunteering. Um, just to, to offer some hope and grace to this community. It's right down the street from your church, so it's super easy to get here. And um, we're loving on people. We're offering grace and hope. And uh, here's all the food. Check it out. 30 to 50 pounds of food in a trunk. It's remarkable. So come out and join us. Get on the link and sign up, and we'll welcome you out here to help out. Thanks a lot. See ya. Hi, Austin New Church. My name's Lupe, and I'm from Santa Rita. And I'm Ashley Sandoval from Santa Rita Courts. I want to thank uh, Austin New Church for the gift cards y'all provided for the families. And I also want to thank you for partnership for the past three years with us. Uh, it's been a, a, an experience. Uh, Santa Rita has been here for about 80 years, built back in 1939. So you can imagine it's got a lot of history. I also want to thank all of y'all that are going to restore this weekend to buy food and grow and cleaning supplies. And this will go to the less, uh, all the families that are less fortunate. And we also wanna mention that we do chair with Chalmers and Rosewood this time around. So thank you so much for all the effort and support you've given us. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. I'm McCabe with Posada Esperanza. We're providing shelter and support to homeless immigrants. Uh, we appreciate your church's support. And if you'd like to help us at this time, we are looking for help with diapers, pots and pans, fresh food like milk, eggs, um, meat, and stuff like that. Um, and winter jackets. We'd love to start collecting winter jackets for when a cold snap could come our way, maybe, maybe sometime in October. So if you have any of these items um, that you'd like to contribute, please send us an email and we'll set up a time to be sure to be able to receive you. Thank you. Uh, Trey and Sam and all the people who came out on our Restore Weekend, Patty, Miss Lupe, we always love to see Miss Lupe and Scott. Thank you guys for that. We continue to be 
uh, a church that tries to serve. Uh, admittedly, that's not easily done during times like these, um, but we have tried to figure out ways to do that. So just know that uh, as a congregation, we understand that the ways we serve our city and the ways we serve the, the neighborhoods in which we live still continue to matter. We'll get back to that with greater creativity as best we're able in 2021. For now, um, some of the best ways you can serve will be uh, serving financially indirect through um, Amazon drop ships and things like that. So be looking more uh, for more details around that. Also be looking for the ways that we're going to help you understand how to get involved with the ways that we are generous around the world. So it's not just the immediate context that we serve in, it's around the world. And if we are suffering in COVID, ask yourself this question, how much more is the emerging world suffering? And so let's not be the people who allowed that, to, that great work that we've been involved in for all these years to suffer during tough times. So you'll hear more from, from us on that later. So welcome to this place. Today we're going to talk about the parables of mustard seed and yeast. So good morning to all of you. It's always good to join you here. I look forward to this every week. Uh, listen, I don't say this often. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever said this before. But if you like what you're uh, joining us to, to share in on Sunday mornings, then share that with your friends. Share the live stream with your friends. Uh, if you have found some sort of delight in joining what we're up to in the world since March, and I hear from you all throughout these weeks, uh, if, if you enjoy being part of what we are gathered around in terms of the gospel, if it connects with you, if it's setting you free, don't be bashful. Share that with people that you love online. We always appreciate that. So today will be my final look at the parables of Jesus for the summer. Jeff Sanchez will wrap up the series next week. He's from our preaching guild here at ANC. And I have to say, I already miss these parables and they haven't left our minds yet. They have been so much fun to prepare for. They have shaped me in the preparation of them. And I've enjoyed every bit of it this summer. So follow along uh, the text as Susie and Juan, they are great members of our church here. They've been here for a very long time. As they do our reading today, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 through 34 in the New Revised Standard Version. Juan and Susie. I want to be going to A&D from the beginning. We are reading Matthew 13, 31 to 34. The perishable of the mountain and the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of gardening 
sits in the decompy tree so that the roots come and put in its branches. Thank you, Juan and Susie. We miss seeing your beautiful faces. Well, I should say we miss seeing Susie. Juan, we miss your cantankerous self too here on Sunday mornings. Thank you guys for all the effort you put into that. So the way Matthew recalls the story of Jesus emerging from the wilderness, he, the first words that he announced in chapter 3 and verse 2 of the book of Matthew were these words, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, change your views, adjust your expectations, rethink what you must because the empowering good news of God's love is right here. Those were the opening words, essentially, with which Matthew commemorates the ministry of Jesus. So these words about the mustard seed and the yeast. But did he really mean this near, as near as weeds in the garden and leaven in the bread? Parables about merchants and masters and kings and princes and such. I get it, those make sense, but mustard bushes and bread, you guys? Well, I happen to like mustard a lot. Uh, my mother's parents uh, immigrated to America from Germany. Uh, and, and if you know anything about Germans, you know that mustard is not a joke to Germans. They take it very seriously. In fact, when my second cousins began to move from the city they were born in, in Buffalo, New York, they would still, and to this very day, still ship each other cases of Weber's mustard. It's the best there is. They ship it all over the country. It's just a thing we do. We take it serious. So when Jesus chooses mustard seed as an example, I'm listening. I'm just saying. I love that he didn't compare it to broccoli. Superfood my foot. There just isn't anything you can do to broccoli to make that stuff edible. So of course the kingdom of heaven is like mustard. But the farmers of Jesus' day didn't cultivate mustard. I wonder if you knew this. This would have been a weed to them. A seed possibly hidden in the sack of other crop seeds just along for the ride the farmer wouldn't have known. You wouldn't see nice rows of mustard bushes planted in the fields of Palestine in the time of Jesus. And the bit about it becoming a good place for birds to perch in is also odd. Farmers don't often encourage birds to hang out 
around their fields for obvious reasons. So the working class would have known that mustard as a weed that grew explosively, often where it wasn't expected. Almost certainly something undesirable to farmers, which is an important detail. You see, Jesus suggests that the good news of God's nearness, of his love for us, somehow grows and thrives in places where it may not even be intentionally planted, maybe where it's least expected. And yeast? This too would have been an an odd metaphor for the listeners in the crowd that Jesus assembled. You see, in the Jewish mind, yeast was a symbol of impurity and corruption. Think sin, as in the tiniest bit left alone, could quickly take over and spoil everything. There is power, there's real power in what Jesus compares the kingdom to, and I think we have to listen. Mustard seed and yeast, both invasive, sometimes unwelcomed, both possessing their own built-in energy, they do their best work when left alone. And this just doesn't jive very well with some of the assumptions that I've made about the kingdom of heaven over my lifetime, I guess I always thought that the good news needed my help. It needed my effort, right? But how exactly does one go about helping seeds to germinate? How does one assist yeast in its chemical processes by making bread rise? It feels like Jesus might be reminding us that part of our work is to get out of the way, to remove the obstacles to growth, to leave the good news alone, at least to the degree that it can do its unseen magic. You see, if we let them, stories like these can actually unwind how we think about the role of the church in the world. I think we'd be less shrill, less judgmental. We'd sound much less angry if we didn't try so hard to force the good news to grow where we want it to grow. And then we have this little statement about the why. Jesus uses parables to begin with. Verse 34 reads this way. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Now, of course, uh, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy from Psalm 78. But the most interesting bit here to me is this idea that Jesus may be intentionally coding his message so that only the people ready to hear could understand what he was trying to say. To me, this feels like a big theological point that we shouldn't miss. You see, my whole life I heard this explained as an example of how Jesus didn't come to save everyone, only the elect. You know what I'm talking about. Surely you've heard of the doctrine of limited atonement. So in order to not mistakenly cause an unwanted soul to repent, he coded his messages. He only opened certain ears. That's what I was told which doesn't explain why his own disciples had to ask for explanations about these parables frequently. They didn't even understand. Surely they were chosen, right? Oh, I have a hunch that there's something much simpler going on here. So I've done some thinking this summer about what might prepare someone to hear the good news of Jesus, the good news that he came to announce. Knowing suffering firsthand would help, Being part of the voiceless, invisible margin of society would certainly help. Knowing something about tilling the soil and baking bread and herding sheep and working with fishing nets and fish would certainly help. In other words, proximity to the symbols that Jesus chooses to use would certainly increase a person's ability to hear and see the good news. Certainly, that seems to be what I'm reading in in the context. 
And you might say, wait a minute, preacher. You mean studying the scriptures and spending a lifetime cultivating external acts of spiritual devotion don't necessarily better qualify a person for deep understanding of Jesus' heavenly revelation? Well, ask yourself this question. Why would Jesus put the deepest meaning within arm's reach of common people? When pressed, Jesus confesses. I have to pause there and say, I love that sentence. Jesus confesses. Have you ever heard a sentence that started like that? We have a golden ticket recipient in the house, Wade, who is our guru that fixed our internet this morning. He's shaking his head no. I'm going to go back. Jesus confesses when pressed that his intention, he's not covering the eyes so much of, of the ones that he didn't want to save so much as he's moving others to a specific vantage point so that they are sure not to miss what's about to happen next. What prepares you to hear what he's trying to say? How exactly does a simple life of menial tasks, tasks give a person ears to hear what Jesus is conveying in these odd little stories? Well, I guess it depends on where you think truth tends to hide out. I think Jesus is reminding us that love is incredibly findable in the mundane things, in the overlooked things. Maybe truth hides as much in the body as it does in the mind. Maybe the people who are busy with the things of earth actually have a front seat to the things of heaven. Being tired and exhausted and underpaid and overworked and unlucky and attacked and stuck in the middle and poor and sick and part of the outcast category of society, which is just another stream of consciousness list of the parables, maybe all of this puts a person right where they need to be in the courtside seats for the unveiling of the kingdom of heaven. What if the truth about God's nearness and his love really is that they are as near as the weeds in our garden and the yeast that makes our bread rise? What if the truth is that good news will produce fruit and will alter the state of things even if we don't notice? Maybe our job is more about removing the obstacles and getting out of the way and allowing truth and love to germinate. In general, I think that's true. But am I suggesting that we should become inactive or passive or that we should just fold our hands? Absolutely not. There is no room for the people of Jesus to resign themselves to disengagement, especially not now in our history. But it's good to be reminded that the power is in the seed, it's in the yeast, lest we despair during times like these when we see very little change, very little progress in justice. When Jesus compares the kingdom to the smallest seed in the garden, and to yeast, something that is small enough to drift on the wind, it's a reminder of the power of small things. Small, often overlooked things can and will, in time, transform everything. So how might we apply a reminder like this on the last day of August in 2020, <laughs> in the America of our times, You've no doubt followed the news this week, as have I. And right when we might be tempted to tune out the important anti-racist work that we need to do in our own lives and in our country, this reminder of how important the little things are is perfectly timed. Esha Rajendran and Jeff Sanchez from our Preaching Guild encouraged us to begin the process of decolonizing our faith earlier this summer when we started to look at the, the parables of Jesus. That's when we agreed to listen differently, white church, to allow people of color to tell us where we might go from here. I talked about the image of a pickup truck. I'm just kind of a Texan that way, that we need to get out from behind the wheel, not get out of the vehicle altogether, 
just out from behind the wheel and allow some other people to steer for the moment. And as the summer has unfolded and as I have submitted my heart and mind to the parables of Jesus time and time again, I think what I'm seeing is this. My life story of power and white privilege hasn't prepared me to hear Jesus the same way as it has our sisters and brothers of color. This isn't about being kitschy or in vogue or politically correct. This is about whose life story has given them ears to hear and eyes to see what Jesus is suggesting. You know what happened this week. It's not the specifics of the case of Jacob Blake. It's the disturbing similarities between his case and every other case of police brutality that has gone before it. Unarmed black male shot down for reasons that don't seem clear on camera. Excessive use of force followed by an immediate circling of the wagons to protect power. Oh, cue the strategic messages about previous offenses and resisting arrest. And then cue up next that we have to hear that this was a lone actor or a bad apple, which is just another way to divert attention away from the system that we've created to maintain white power and control. Oh, can a preacher say that? I just did. It all feels so familiar, and that's the problem. It is, and it ought not be. We can't know all the details of what went down in Kenosha, of course, but Jacob Blake was a human being. He was a child of God, and he deserved the same presumption of innocence that we all demand. So I think it's time that we start saying what we see in these familiar videos. A black man can't walk up to officers without being seen as a threat, and apparently he can't walk away either without being seen as a threat. It's beginning to feel to me like it's a crime or it's simply too threatening to be a black body. It's understood to be a threat to authority. Being shot in the back is exactly what it looks like. It's a cowardly act. They might claim that Jacob was reaching for a weapon, but that's not, doesn't seem clear on the video as far as I can hear. We don't know. It looks like he was trying to extricate himself from a situation that had gotten out of hand but it's the fear that stands out to me. Ironically, the fear in the eyes and in the hands of those holding all the power. Maybe it's the loss of their authority that they fear the most. Is it really life-threatening to be questioned or to be disobeyed, parents? <laughs> Maybe if you've internalized power so deeply into the fabric of your own identity and you've never been taught how to see it, maybe it is. That's the only way that I can see a man turning away, getting into his private property as an assault that warrants seven shots in the back. There are old structures that create and protect this feeble version of power. We need to call it what it is. It's a counterfeit. You see, here's what we know. Real power is control over oneself, over yourself, not control over others. Real power de-escalates. Real power can be questioned and still remain real. So let me say how I feel it right now. And you don't have to like this and you may not agree. That's okay. White America has always seen black and brown bodies as a threat. But they are not. What's wrong is what we project onto their bodies and their stories. That somehow they are flawed. I'm here to tell you white America is paranoid. And it has to stop. One tiny interaction at a time which is what I suggest we do with this reminder from Jesus today and the mustard seed and the yeast. Justice is always gonna come down to the little things, 
to the unseen things. It will always begin there. To the tiniest bits of efforts and, and, and messaging and action and momentum, it will accumulate and collect and gather to make enormous changes over time. But it will begin small. Oh, church, it's been a long summer. But now is not the moment to shrink back. All of your small actions matter. They all add up. They begin in your heart, as you know. Then they move themselves to the kitchen table into conversations with those that we love. Then they move themselves into the public square of our public discourse. Then they remake the world if we let them. This is exactly how the gospel grows and germinates and ferments, eventually altering the whole context. So don't despise small beginnings, friends. It's how all big things begin. It's true for mustard seed and for yeast, and it's true for the good news of God's kingdom. Pray with me. Bring deep conviction, Holy Spirit, even today. Bring awareness and truth and justice to our world. Empower us to be useful, to alleviate the suffering of those who are tired and exhausted and weak and unheard and tuned out and erased and forgotten. Help us to remember. Because I have an increasing sense, Lord, that the gospel will produce fruit. The question remains, can we be part of it? People will be set free. Will we be in attendance when that happens? That's the question. So have your way. Move as you will. Speak truth today. In your name we pray.